Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. It has been a long but productive day here at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 annual conference with 1500 or so of my great friends and colleagues in and around higher education today. My guest co-host uh, for all these episodes, the uh, host of Edup Legal, Deborah Solmore, uh, should have been here for this episode, but she decided to disappear. We don't know where <laughs> she went, maybe to get coffee or water. Not that I'm calling her out live here on the podcast, but maybe I am. At the same time, you'll never know, Deborah, unless you listen. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I want to just say thank you to Heather Perfetti, the Dr. Heather Perfetti, my colleague and president of MSCHE, for allowing us to come here and interview the great members and leadership in and across uh, the institutions uh, affiliated with uh, Middle States. And of course, to our sponsor, Lead Squared, who helped us get here and, and uh, expense and sponsor wise, uh, which we very much appreciate because the uh, connections and the conversations have been really, really powerful. And we have another amazing guest and I would say powerful guest because she knows her stuff because I know this because I was already talking to her. Uh, but uh, I'm going to introduce her the proper way. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, she is Dr. Kate Conway-Turner. She is the vice chair of the Middle States Commission and the recently retired president of Buffalo State University. And I mean recent as in June 1st of this year. Welcome, Kate. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm uh, happy to be here with you and great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Buffalo State University, uh, amazing university. You said it has about 8,000 students. You recently retired on June 1st. So first, congratulations on your retirement. How do you feel? Are well, you missing higher ed? Well, I'm here in Middle State, so it's kind of hard to miss higher education because I'm still very connected to higher ed. Um, but certainly it's a, an exciting phase of my life to be retired. I've been in higher ed for 43 years before. 43 years. 43 years. Surprise. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So I've done lots of different things and, you know, been in lots of different roles. And so the last nine years as presidency was certainly an amazing nine year run. Um, but you know, it's time to get on to other things. Is it? Is it? Because maybe you have the bug to jump back into higher education and take another institution on. Could yeah, that could be that case? I doubt it. <laughs> it's <laughs> fuzzy math. <laughs> but I do. I would like to do some writing. I, really? I really would. Could write a book? So I'd like to write a memoir. Wow. And so I have actually, you know, kind of started a part of it already, even though it's only been a few months since I stepped out of my big role. Um, and then I'd also like to write a bit about um, meeting some of the challenges of um, presidents today in higher education. You know, higher education is really changing. It's very different than it was like when I started in this, these roles. And so I'd like to write a bit about, you know, what it feels like from my perspective uh, to meet and handle some of the many challenges that we see and we face every day. So you have empathy towards today's college and university presidents. It's like a pressure cooker these days, right? It, it really, it really is. It's just so many different things going on. And, and in some ways, unlike what we've seen across the decades before. So the, you have to keep enlarging your toolkit. Yeah. and learning to do different things in different ways and our students and the the requirements for our students and the wishes and wants of them have really changed and so it really does require higher education to be far more facile than it was in the past and so it's it's a different time that's a fact that's a fact <laughs> um i i said this on a previous episode but if uh for 
those of you listening that know LinkedIn well, um, on LinkedIn, there's um, they generate these articles now and they ask for expert contributors to come in. And, and so my I do a lot of higher education commentary. And um, one of the questions was managing change in higher ed today and how a leader is really supposed to navigate it. And, and it really is an almost unwinnable situation, right? Because if you have to change a university, okay, and all of the things that are in a university in uh, faculty, you know, let's just say people are adverse to change. There are many, many, many people in higher ed and you look at all levels that are adverse to change. We do have a what about me mentality as most businesses do, but there's structures and bureaucracy built in higher ed. If you can't facilitate that change, you, you're irrelevant. You, you become irrelevant in today's marketplace. If you can facilitate that change, you get singled out for disrupting the institution as the leader. How do you do this, Kada? What, what's your advice over your <laughs> nine years and how do we, how do these college presidents survive? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that it is really hard to, to, to really navigate those choppy waters that you're that you're referring to, and you're absolutely right. It's like whatever direction you go, you know, some portion of the population is going to be upset with you. That is correct. <laughs> and I think that one of the things that's important to do is to, you know, really gather around you those people who really are creative and innovative and are willing to to really do some different things because um if we keep doing the same thing we're going to get the same result that's the definition of insanity isn't it absolutely absolutely and so i think that leaders have to really find those folks on their campus and in their networks that can help to um for them to think through and, and move forward with some new things uh, on their campuses what was your secret for longevity you know the average tenure of a college president i think was six years i think and it came down to just three and a half or almost four yeah. it's really declined um what, what was the secret in your opinion to your longevity i think that um for me i really love higher education i love our students i love the hubbub and the the churn of a college environment um and so it's a very special kind of business it is a business but it's very mm. special and I think the secret for me is that I really sort of enjoy the dynamic roles that are going on. Even, you know, there were times where students would, could get upset about something and they want to come talk to the president or the vice presidents, you know. Um, and I always saw that as an opportunity that they are learning. They're learning it's like how a way to, to shape them for the future. Absolutely. To be critical uh, thinkers that they could really uh, work with the administration or other folks on campus to figure out a solution. So I never thought that was a negative thing, you know, and I think that if people say, get the idea that your perspective is the only perspective and you just want people to believe in your perspective, that that is an ingredient for failure really in almost any business, but certainly in, in higher education. Make a good point as a leader, you're talking about broader leadership. But when you're when you're in a teaching and learning environment and you're the leader mm -hmm. and you don't do something when it's related to a student that you probably should do because you're avoiding it. And we, we know and you know, you've made decisions where you go, OK, I know it's coming. It's coming to me mm -hmm. by not taking that meeting, by not addressing this, by not putting out the FAQ, by not communicating in advance. You're actually teaching those students about leadership mm -hmm. and uh, we don't talk about that often but it's just my brain went bing mm -hmm. when you when you said that that 
every opportunity is a learning opportunity and you're teaching those students about leadership at every move you make, no matter whether it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you have to really model for your campus courageous leadership. And that is uh, dare to meet and talk with those people who are your greatest critics. Mm -hmm. You know, even though you may still go the same direction, you've got to dare to sit down and truly listen to them and, and understand their perspective. And even if you think the perspective is really wrong-headed and it's not where we need to go, um, to me, one of the things that's been important is truly listening and hearing people. Uh, maybe they don't always listen to me, but I try to listen to them. And I think that's also been an important piece of my leadership. You know, what's funny about higher ed folks in general is that uh, particularly when I've talked to presidents when they retire, I, I'm thinking they're going to do a lot of this. Cheers! But they end, up <laughs> they end up wanting to give back still. Mm -hmm. Okay, you retired, you've put your 43, 43, 43 years. years into this. Take a break. And inside <laughs> of you is going, I want to help other presidents. I want to write a memoir. I want to mm -hmm. I want to unload my knowledge onto someone because you can't stop helping. Mm -hmm. Do you recognize that? Like, I think that's pretty common for, for those that serve students. Like, there's no off button for us to still want to help. Absolutely. I think I do see myself in exactly that description. Um, and I the cheers? <laughs> no, okay, all right. Not so much that. Uh, but, you know, the desire to really continue to contribute yeah. and to help and to mentor. I have a number of uh, younger professionals that I, that I mentor, at many of my former students that I'm connected to. You know, I'm a part of Middle States, which is all about, you know, ensuring quality education for our students. And, and so it is, it is important. And so you do have the bug. You have to figure out what things you can do. You got to direct it. Exactly. You got to direct that bug or figure out how to scratch it, scratch the edge, right? Exactly. And not to do so much that you really cannot enjoy your friends and family that have been waiting in the wings, you know, for so you, you to have a little more time. end up in another time. job. Exactly. <laughs> another full-time job working 25 hours a day. Exactly. Um, exactly. Talk about your role as vice chair of Middle States. What does that look like? What are your responsibilities? Who are you working with in this role? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, I get the real pleasure of working with Heather Perfetti, um, the Shout president of Middle States. She's amazing. And also, amazing. Amazing she is, uh, as well as the other commissioners. So we have uh, a board of commissioners that uh, review and, uh, and make decisions on um, campuses and 500 plus campuses in the Middle States family. Yep. And so it is uh, important work. Uh, particularly in this time that we just mentioned earlier, that there's lots of change going on. There's a lot of things campuses need to do differently. Uh, certainly, we, we could point to the pandemic as being an incredible opportunity that we had to do things differently than campuses ever thought they had to do. Whoever thought campuses across the country would have to close down, that we couldn't do graduation, we couldn't convene, you know. Um, and so we had to help campuses and, and approve ways for them to maintain quality while they were still moving students along to the ultimate, which is their graduation and completion of their degrees. Um, so part of what I do is uh, work with those commissioners uh, at various levels around the seven standards so that to ensure that campuses really are um, learning from each other and doing all that they can do to make sure that they're having a, a positive and productive and high quality experience you know, for our students. You're seeing things uh, as a committee, you know, your vice vice chair, you're seeing things that I think 20 years ago, you didn't see that often, like closures, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, mergers and stressed 
You know, one, one of the things I've noticed about accrediting uh, bodies, I've worked for an institution that was WASC accredited, two for HLC, and then I've worked for three national of the national accreditors, which were previously national accreditors, um, in for profits where I worked, and it, it it so much of the focus was on academics, which is what it should be. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, when schools became financially stressed, there was also this piece where accrediting bodies have to ensure the sustainability of mm -hmm. these. We we have to look at your financials, and we have to go. Are you planning appropriately for the future? Because mm -hmm. schools close, and it was like, I, I'm an accrediting body. I don't want schools to close. If I'm, uh, I don't want one of my member institutions to close. Is that a continual focus as you're seeing it now? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, the campuses have to have the resources to maintain all the work on their campus, and that means the high quality education for your students to, to maintain their their buildings and facilities to maintain the salaries and the benefits for their faculty and their staff and all of that. So um, in an environment where we're highly competitive in terms of the, the smaller number of students come going to college, then people are seeing declines in enrollment. In addition to the fact that we're in an enrollment cliff and there's less, you know, kids finishing um, high school lessons. Ah! <laughs> oh, scary on that one. <laughs> you really that was scared the kid me on jumping that off one. the cliff. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so resource issues have become a very important part of what campuses need to think about. Hmm. And so middle states certainly in, in our standards are looking to make sure that there's sufficient resources to um, fulfill the mission of the institution. And if not, then how is the campus planning to make changes that allow them to continue their mission? Uh, and that might mean serious changes on campus or mergers with another uh, campus or um, some sort of collaborations. And so all of that is an important part of what Middle States is doing is reviewing and discussing with campuses and making sure that they maintain the financial uh, background to fulfill the mission of the institution. You probably see a lot of stuff. Like I wonder if there's those moments when an institution comes in front, you, you, you would think in this day that there's a lot of attention paid to financial sustainability, uh, academic outcomes, because the value of higher education is in question. And the only way to to stop that, right? Because there's this public out here and they say, you don't need to go to college. You could just get your, you just watch a hundred YouTube videos and that's as good as a four year degree. I mean, literally there's advertisements on <laughs> an Instagram that say that. And I, I use this example, I saw one, it's Elon Musk and he's got like a superhero costume on and it says, you could become a billionaire like Elon by watching YouTube videos. And and it's unbelievable to me, but there is a kid sitting at home that doesn't understand higher education, that only understands social media noise coming to him or her, that goes, well, I don't have to go to college. I could just start watching these videos, so I'm not, I'm not going to go to college. And the only way to fight against that narrative is to ensure quality. It's to open the door for as many students as possible to enter higher education. And it's to have eyes on, on finance. Do you ever come across this this lack of oversight on a campus to where you're just thinking outrageous? How do you not have eyes on that? Like mm -hmm. the whole world's telling you have eyes on this, you're not looking at it. Mm -hmm. So generally not, I would say. That's good. I would say that most uh, campuses are self-aware of issues, uh, but that I think is, that's changed over time. And I think that time. has. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that each and every person on campus. But in terms mm -hmm. of the folks that actually that, that administer the campus, the senior folks on campus certainly 
uh, understand that. But bringing along folks that perhaps have been around for many decades on campus who have not had to think about that, that is really where we are right now. So we have to make sure that everybody understands that in order to be competitive in today's market in a higher education, then one has to be contemporary. And what does that mean for your campus? What is your mission? And how are you fulfilling it in today's world? And so some of the things that perhaps you, you know, were your bread and butter in the, in the past, students no longer want that. You know, they want credentials. You know, they want different experiences. They want co-ops. They want other things that will ensure them to have a, a position, a job more quickly when they finish. Um, and so for those that have been educators all their life, always on campus, they may really you know, be nostalgic for the good old days where people- You're so nice. You know? <laughs> 100%. Nostalgic. Nostalgic for those good old days. Fighting those are gone. Change. Exactly, fighting the change. So I, I don't think that there are campuses that don't understand the, the importance of um, fiscal viability and yeah. changes, but I do believe that there are, you know, uh, internal conflicts in that campus sometimes between people who don't get it. I want, you know, it's okay for everybody else to change, but don't, I don't want to change. No, I want to, I don't want to change. Get out of here. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. This this is fun. Yeah. Students are just going to line up for me. From my class. Yes. For my class. So they're just going to check in and come in person every day and sit in the same old desk they sat in. Exactly. But your comment about how students will, you know, look at YouTubes and, and think that they can be very successful without, it's scary. Almost. It's really scary, mm-hmm. you know, and think about all the different occupations that um, college prepares you for and, yep. and that do you really want someone that has uh, a hands on kind of occupation, learning that craft through never working with people, you yeah. know, and so. Um, so I think there is some naivete around that as well. It's funny because when I, we started this podcast, my partner and I, Elvin, we had so many conversations about the value of higher education. And I, I think I started on this, you know, micro credential camp. And I, and I do believe in it. I do believe that you can go and get skills and not have to get a college degree, but talking to leaders and, and seeing all the perspectives behind still what a college degree can do for one, I've moved to the other side that I think it's an, and Mm -hmm. I think it's, get the micro credentials, stack them any way you want and get your degree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if you're going to ensure wealth, generational opportunity, a degree still means something. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 we're not in the days where it doesn't mean anything. That's, I think that, that there are those that are trying to accelerate it to that point, but that's, there's too much goodness in learning. Now, do we have to change the learning? Do we have to make it more workplace relevant? Are there innovations that have to take place like subscription models and so on? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that the degree itself is not valuable. And so this podcast has been all about let's celebrate the hard work in higher education. And you've been put you. What do you think? Do you think that mm-hmm. do you think after your time and you're retiring now? So you get to say whatever you want. By That's the way, true. For that the most absolutely part. Absolutely true. Like you're not a president anymore. <laughs> so you don't have to say, well, I, I see both sides. You can see whatever heck side you want. <laughs> what do you think? No, I, I think that you're really right. Um, I think that a college degree provides many wraparound skills that you don't get just from, let's say, five or six stackable um, certificates. I really do. I mean, as much as those critical things could be very important, it could help to advance your career and also may fill in a certain gap. 
that there's nothing really um, that's more fundamental right now than a college degree. Critical thinking, learning to collaborate, yes. working with people from different backgrounds. The human skills. All those human skills, all those thoughtful skills, not yeah. just human skills, but the ability to think through and reason through. You need sort of time and reflection and classes and mentors and all of that to do that. And I think that if we throw that out, then we will find ourselves having individuals um, that grow up to be in careers who are not relational, who mm -hmm. don't understand the big picture, who don't understand the history. So there is a problem in the forefront right now. And let's say if you don't understand the history of it, you don't even know how it got there. So how can yeah, you possibly, sure. you know, and try how can to address it? have an opinion yeah. or address it yeah. when you don't even understand the history. So I think that that's what a liberal arts education background does for you. It provides you a context and an understanding and a, an ability to think critically uh, and to write effectively and to communicate effectively in ways that just, you know, having the critical information, which is important, doesn't give you. Epic. So two more questions. One personal. Yes. Um, do you think... I've talked to a couple presidents that have recently retired mm -hmm. and some of them said that the COVID pandemic, their time accelerated their retirement. They just decided it was a good time to exit because there was so much smashed into that period of time. Mm -hmm. Was that true for you or did you exit the way you wanted to? I exited pretty much when I was anticipating to. Um, I can say that the COVID years were some of the most challenging years that um, I ever experienced. That sort of year and a half was very, very challenging. Um, but I also felt that it was important to restabilize the campus after that, get people back on their feet, everything back, you know. But I was really sort of looking at this this year as the year, you know, it was a critical year for me. Good for you. Anything you want to say, anything else you want to say about Middle States? Mm -hmm. Well, it's an amazing organization, and I am just so proud to be a part of it. Uh, and the skill set and the expertise of the people, the staff, and the leadership of Middle States just makes it a wonderful organization to be a part of and a wonderful organization to be reviewing and really, um, you know, uh, making sure our education is what it should be. Good for you. Is this your first podcast? Or have you done a podcast before? I have I done a podcast before? I think I've done a couple before. Okay. Well, I wanted this to be your first, but that's okay. Ladies no, I'm and gentlemen, sorry. My, I'm sorry. I'm, it's my first with you. That's right. So therefore, it's the in best. Person, it's your it's first in person at a Middle States conference. That is true. See, we'll take that. Ladies and gentlemen, my okay. amazing guest today. Here she is. <laughs> she's Dr. Kate Conway-Turner. She's the vice chair of the Middle States Commission, and she's a recently retired president from Buffalo State University. Kate, we hope you had a good time in the podcast today. Yeah, I certainly did. And thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just had upped.